and make your way this morning into the book of 3 John. Sunday mornings, we've been making our way through this short letter, and actually we're finishing it this morning. We finish up our study in 3 John this morning, and longing that God would just land and make this kind of work into our lives, that which He has for us. So again, it's our intention that you be there with us in the Scriptures. Our hope is that you brought a Bible and you've made your way there. If you didn't, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen. You're welcome also if it just works better for you to have an electronic device and have a Bible app open in that. One way or another, have the Scriptures before you so that you can see what God would say to you through His Word. That's our invitation here. It's also in the overflow and online. Grab a Bible. Be with us so that God would speak to you through His Word, that it would be this morning, that through His Word we hear what He has for us. Well, that's our aim, and so I want to lead you in prayer, but it is a lead in the sense that I'm hoping you pray as well. Would you ask God to make His Word known to you this morning, that what He is speaking to you today you will hear, and that that would work into you that which He has? Let's ask Him for that. God, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you that it's powerful. I thank you that it's alive. Got to think about what your intention is. And I've been thinking some about it today of that picture that you gave us in the parable of the soils, Jesus. And in that parable, you likened your word to a seed. A seed that your intention was would enter into our hearts and it would go down and, and, and take root up into our lives and change, transform us, bear fruit. I look on that right now with great desire, and I'm asking, Lord, would you cause our hearts to be such that would hear and receive what you would say? Lord, would there just be no hardness right now that would just make it impenetrable? Just soften our hearts where we're shallow and, and not really taking in what you have. Just break through that right now. Where the weeds of this life, the cares of this world, and, and the desire for riches that you spoke about that would choke out uh, your word, may they just be dealt with right now so that nothing enters into this space, that you would just prepare our hearts for your word and that your word would enter in. Go down, take root, and then bear fruit that would change what you would have for us. I know that's your beautiful design. I'm just asking it to happen now. Well, look on our hearts and, and cause them to be open and ready just break up that fallow ground of our hearts so that your word would enter and then you and your faithfulness would take your truth and very specifically, appropriate, personally, just plant what you have in our hearts for your good and glory by working your work in us. We ask for that right now as we surrender this time to you, acknowledging you as our good and faithful God. We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Third John, here I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. I would like you to meet a man named Demetrius. Well, yeah, he is the one that we're going to be taking a look at this morning. This man that's being held out in our text this morning, this good man, this devout man that's going to be held out. Before we dive into this man, though, I want to back up and remind you, if you have been with us in our study of Third John, we really got to see four men. There are four different men highlighted in this short letter being held out to us as examples, being held out to us that we would see their lives, see who they are, and then be challenged to make sure that we are following good examples. In fact, that's exactly where we landed last week. Why don't you go back and just see that so you see the flow of it. 
Look there with me in verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does what is good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Make sure that the examples that you're paying attention to, he says, are good examples. Because there are those who are doing well, and then there are those who are not. And in some senses, that's what we get to see in these four men. If you've been with us so far, we began our study by just highlighting the exemplary elder. That is John himself, the writer of this letter. That his example all by itself is a powerful one. We looked at him as an older and yet wise and yet one who is, you know, just influential in the church. We talked about how he just marked incredible humility in the way that both he walked in, in the place that it is representing these things, and yet he was involved. One of the things we saw is that space of still bearing fruit into old age and just a good reminder of a good example of someone who was doing it well. Well, that's John who wrote the letter, but he wrote the letter to this godly man named Gaius, seemingly a leader perhaps in the church there in uh, the city where this was written, and he wrote it and just spoke good things about this man. He let us know that his soul was doing really, really well, prospering, that he was spiritually just on this upward momentum of seeing growth happen in his life, and he reminded us why. It's because he knew the truth, because he knew what the truth was, and he was walking in it. It's a good example. Someone who knows what the truth is and is walking in it, that was Gaius. He became that one that was a good example to follow. But there was a bad example as well. That ought to be clear as, again, he said, make sure, you know, you're not following an evil example because that's not going to be of God. That was this man, this dictatorial diatrophies. We saw last week that he was one that was incredibly prideful, that he put himself first, made himself first in everything, self-centeredness, ruling his life, but it went further. He became one that pratted and resisted God's work, literally forbidding those things that God was doing. Yeah, that's what we've seen so far. And if you've missed any of those studies, I would encourage you to go back and get them because I think it forms for us a good picture. And yet I want to just pause and highlight that in some ways, one of the key themes throughout this entire letter has been the place of missions, of, of encouraging mission, of encouraging those who are in mission. And I, I pause right here and say, here's part of my problem, kind of getting to the end of this study and coming to this one. I kind of want to re-say everything I've said. You know, it's like, it's like I just want to make sure you're entirely there, and there's no way I can do that. But let me quickly just say this. I don't know what it sounds like when I say missions. I don't know what you think of when you hear that. It might be that you understand that that's what we are. Like the church of Jesus Christ is here on this world on mission. That in one sense, all of us are missionaries. That all of us are a part of this. And that missions itself is one of the heartbeats of what we do. The great commission is ours. The command to take the gospel to the world. That Jesus is doing that with us to the end. We have highlighted that, spent time on that in the previous studies. But when we gaze on here in 3 John, we're watching some who are embracing that and some who are not. Yeah, we saw dictatorial diatrophies, and he was, in many ways, anti-missions, that he resisted it. Why don't you go back and just see it for a moment, where he says it there in verse 10. John says, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prodding against us with malicious words, and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren. It's 
specifically the idea of missions, missionaries who are coming through and then journeying on to other spaces. And he forbids those who wish to do so, putting them out of the church. Crazy, wild. This person living in such a selfish way, just resisting what God was doing, being focused only on himself, only on their church, and it was held out as a bad example. But we back up and we see Gaius. He was one that was doing it well. He said it this way in verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You do well because they went out for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to receive such that we may be fellow workers with the truth. He says, Gaius, you're doing it well. You're receiving these and you're sending them out. Like you're excited about what they're doing. You're getting behind that. So we watch this whole thing and there's this contrast between a Gaius that was doing it well, a Diotrephes that was doing it poorly. I would add in there, John, he is in many ways a missions-minded guy that is involved in this, encouraging it and dealing with it. And so thematically through the whole thing, we've been talking about this idea of the Great Commission, of being involved in what God is doing in the world all that I want you to feel because now having talked about all of that we get to this last man that we haven't yet met this man that who's known as Demetrius and who is he well I will hold before you that I solidly believe well he's actually a missionary I mean he is actually one that very likely most Bible students believe carried this letter to the church but was more than just the messenger He's being called to embrace in such a way that the church would embrace him and then send him forward, send him out, be involved so that you could do this where you'll continue to see that go forward. And so today we get to look at this man and try to just examine what that looks like and again, how then it would work in our lives. So Demetrius, the devout Demetrius, a missionary is who we get. Notice it with me how it says it in verse 12. It says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. Demetrius, he's a good witness. Yeah, that's what's told to us about him. And in many ways, that's all we know about him. Now, Demetrius, uh, that name is only mentioned one other space in Scripture. For you Bible students, you might recognize it from Acts 19. Acts 19, he was a man who resisted Paul the Apostle, who uh, you know, was a silversmith in the city, and because Paul, the gospel was going against and kind of robbing them of their affairs, stirs up an incredible opposition uh, to uh, the work of God. Now, that's the only other time that name is mentioned, and there's nothing that helps us or causes us to think that maybe they're the same person. Now, they could have been. I mean, it would be a great thing. It would be great to see this man go from being, you know, an enemy and resistor to a missionary and such things. Well, that's exactly what Paul the Apostle was. You know, he was that. So if God did it again, that would be great. That said, there is nothing that connects that. And Demetrius is one of those uh, names. It was a very common name in that culture. 
So just because they had the same name doesn't make them the same person. I mean, I know that makes sense, right? But sometimes when you read the Bible, it's like, well, it's got to be the same person. And I think, well, no, it doesn't. Because, I mean, think about how it works here. I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes it's kind of a funny thing how many people have the same name. I don't know if you figured it out. Like, if you just called out, like, you know, Chris or Kevin or Cindy. I mean, like, how many people would be like, you know, we got half a dozen people turn their heads. It's like, well, so which one did you mean, you know? And, And so it's kind of that way here. I mean, I don't think there's any sense that we have to say, okay, they are the same person. So we'll leave Acts 19 and say, well, here's what we do know for sure. And this is all we know for sure, is that he has given this title, that he's a good witness. Let's talk about the word witness just for a moment. It's a really, really interesting word, and I draw your attention to the Greek word. As most of you know, the Bible in the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and in many ways, it's just got more power to it. Materio is the Greek word that's used here, and it speaks of one who is being a witness or testifying or representing. And maybe part of the way that I want you to feel in this moment was it's more than an activity, but it's a description of a reality. To say that you're being a witness is not just what you're doing, it's something that you are that so permeates your life that defines that. In fact, it was an interesting thing that this word, martyrio, literally began becoming the word so that our English word martyr comes from that. Kind of comes out from the, someone who, was, who witnessed, you know, the, for their faith to their death, that gave their life for representing Jesus, and they were witnesses. They were martyrs. They were those who did that to, with not just their words, but their very life being laid down. So it's a good space for us to gaze upon that and think, okay, so he is that. Now, I recognize if you're following along in your Bible, you would see it a couple different ways. In fact, it says that this way in verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony. So the word testimony, it is the word witness. Different translations will do that differently. Some of your translations would say witness, but it continues to flow through the whole verse. So he says, you know, Demetrius has a good testimony or witness from all and from the truth itself. We also bear witness, same word, and you know that our, well, same word, testimony or witness is true. So again and again, it's witness. It's this powerful witness that Demetrius is. Well, one of the things we want to just be reminded of is that when we think about the word missionary, one of the reasons why the word missionary wasn't used here as a description of Demetrius is the word missionary is not actually used in the Bible. Kind of a funny thing. I mean, it's so funny because it's such a common uh, word within our vocabulary that we'd be like, wait, what? Like, why didn't you call him a missionary? Well, in some ways, we, we invented that. And it's powerful. It can be helpful, but it's also dangerous because part of what the New Testament is is, well, we all are. I mean, so, you know, to give somebody a title of what we're all meant to be would almost itself be a little bit of a dangerous thing. And so I understand partly why it's not there. That said, there were those who were to do this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, when we talked about the apostles. And I told you that the, uh, the gifting or the calling of an apostle, I believe, is the calling of a missionary. And I want to go back and re-say all of that. said it a couple weeks ago, but I will pause and just say it this way. It's a funny thing. Uh, so I do believe in all the, the gifts and callings that God describes in Acts and, and describes in 1 Corinthians and Romans. I just don't believe in the way that people sometimes interpret those. So every now and then there are those who say, hey, you know, our church is an apostolic church or it's a reinvention of the apostles. And the funny thing about it is it so often looks nothing like it. Uh, for most of the time, what people do with that is they make it about power and authority, which is exactly what Jesus said it wasn't. 
he looked at his disciples who were trying to, you know, one-up themselves and make themselves great. He says, that's how the world does it. You know, the people among the world, they make themselves lords. That's not how I want you to do it. It's about serving. He says, I came to give my life away. You give your life away. So apostle isn't about, a, 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 you know, this idea of authority. It is about someone who's actually going. That's what the word you know, apostle means, a sent one, one who is being sent out from the church. So the calling is that of an apostle. The activity is to witness, is to witness for Christ, to tell other people about Jesus, to be those who reflect that into the world. Now, that's exactly what Jesus promised. In fact, I think about it in that well-known verse where Jesus looked at the, this place of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and in Acts 1, he promised, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Wow. That's our commission. That's our calling. That's the power. He says, I want you to tell the world about me. I want you to be witnesses to me. And that word materio is that, this place of saying, hey, this is what we do. We get to be a part of that where the gospel goes into the whole world, that we're intended to do that. And I would just hold out to you again, that's this man. He is a good witness. He's one that's doing that well. Or we would say, again, in our modern vernacular, he's a good missionary. This is someone who is worthy of recognition in that worthy of being one, that in the words of our text, that he would tell, you know, Gaius, hey, get behind them and send them out in a manner worthy of God. Get behind what they're doing, receive them, be a part of that. And sometimes that understanding of, of who that is becomes a really helpful thing. In fact, that may be part of what's even recorded for us here. So we have this man who's a good witness, a good missionary that's being laid out to us, but the rest of what's here in this verse gives us a threefold endorsement. Three ways that would say, hey, this is what endorses such a one, so that you would say, hey, that is a good missionary. Yeah, that is someone that we should get behind. Yeah, that is someone we should support. And maybe, again, it becomes something that should be always that way, that we look for these kinds of things. So let's look at it. Verse 12, he says, Demetrius has a good testimony or a good witness from all. From all? Yeah, he is endorsed by everybody. Pretty powerful reality. Stop and think about it for a moment. The idea is that wherever Demetrius left from, whatever church he was a part of, it's as if everybody there said, yeah, that guy's got it. I mean, he's doing well. He's a good representative of Jesus. They recognize what this is. Now, I like this for a lot of reasons, but in huge ways, I just want to tell you the thing, the way that God works in our life is oftentimes he, he works the reality before the appointment, that he works the place where that would be there so it's who we are, and then others recognize it and say, yeah, you are that and send out. That's a powerful thing. Now, as I think about that, that might make perfect sense just saying it that way. I could spend a lot more time on it, but I will say this specifically when it occurs about missions. It's not always the case. I mean, so please don't understand it this way, but there are sometimes when somebody finds themselves interested in being a missionary, and yet part of the thing is because they are such a terrible witness where they are. I mean, as one says, they have such a hard time telling somebody about Jesus, and they have this crazy idea. It's like, man, if I go to Africa, 
then I'll go get to do it. Because I'm just, you know, my family holds me down, and I'm such a bad example. I was like, I just need to, you know, maybe I could get away from all of this, and then I could really be a representative of Jesus. I find my mind thinking about that demoniac that Jesus cures there in Mark 5, and says when Jesus got into the boat that he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. It's like, Jesus, I just want to go with you. I just want to go with you. And Jesus said, however, you know, he didn't permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. There is almost this sense of you need to go and do that first. You know, like, go home and tell everybody that knows you. Go out and live it in such a way that those who are your family, your friends, your neighbors, see who you are. And if we know much about the story, that actually does seem exactly what happens. But that's another story in the midst of it. But it's enough just saying that that ought to be that way. In fact, I think about it in calling of leadership. And we think about even in 1 Timothy when he talks about the, the elders and pastors there. He says, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Like he's got to be somebody who has a good testimony, has a good space of that. And again, I like that. I like it that in many ways it begins there. That in one way, as we, as we seek to would say, okay, well, who is God calling into this place of missions? Who is that missionary? It ought to be the person who is that, that everybody would go like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the kind of place when someone's like, hey, I think I might be called to the mission field, and everybody around you goes, I think so, too. <laughs> like, like, I've been watching your life. Like, you, you have a passion for the gospel. You have a passion for sharing the gospel. You do that to everybody you know. I mean, it's one of these things that really this place of coming and saying, okay, we're going to get behind somebody is to recognize they, they're already doing it, like they're already living that out in a way before we come and then recognize, and I would tell you, I think that's always God's way, that God creates the reality in the person and then says, okay, you are that, let's go forward. And so he seems to have this. He has this place where he is endorsed by everybody. Everybody kind of recognizes it's there. On top of that, go back and see what else it says. Verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth. Yeah, he's not just endorsed by everybody. He's endorsed by the truth. Now, pay attention to this because just the way that God words it is really, really powerful. He doesn't say that Demetrius endorses the truth, but the truth endorses Demetrius. Well, what's different about that? Well, everything. See, it's an important place. I mean, it's one of those places that certainly if someone's going to be a missionary, they have to believe the truth. Uh, they have to in, say, I, I agree with that, and I'm acknowledging that. But here's one of the things that you need to think through with me for a moment. The truth is the truth. The truth of God, that truth is, that is Christ, that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the truth of the gospel what I want you to think about with me for a moment is it is unchangeable. It is unalterable. It is firm. It is fixed. And nothing but nothing in all of eternity is going to be able to fracture it or move it. Now, that's kind of an important reality because we live in a world where lies have permeated our world. Jesus told us that Satan is the father of lies, so it's no big surprise that our world is so filled with deception. But one of the weird things that can happen is sometimes we can almost begin to feel that, uh, you know, that, that truth itself is going to be a casualty, that somehow truth is going to be destroyed. 
uh, by our world. And I just want to tell you, mm -mm, everything else is going to be destroyed. Everything else that comes against truth, everything that uh, just fails to acknowledge truth, it is all dissipating and nothing, nothing that is the foolishness or folly of our world could ever resist that. In fact, think about it this way. In, in Romans chapter 3, Paul is presenting all of this and he's talking about how the gospel and the word of God really finds its origin through the Jewish people and all that they are. And then he just talks about how few of them were living that whole thing out. And so he says, so what's going to happen? Would, if, if some of them didn't believe it, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? So if people don't endorse the truth, if, if people you know, won't acknowledge it's true, could that destroy the truth? Could that in any way move it? And he just says, no way. Like, certainly not. In the strongest language that could possibly be put there, that comes across so much stronger in the Greek language, it's like, no way, that's impossible, can't happen. Let God be true. Even if everybody lies, even if everybody, you know, fails to acknowledge it, God's truth remains firm, fixed, unmoving, unshakable, and true. That's good. That's good. So, as you're trying to think about that, then come back to it and understand it's not that Demetrius is witnessing or confessing the truth. It's as if you could take truth and almost personify it, almost have truth step out on the stage and say, I endorse this man. This man represents me. This man is a man who is, who is holding fast to what I am. This is one who, who is, you know, they can't change what I am, but they are acknowledging that. They are holding fast to that, and that's a good space. That's a good space. It's where God's inviting you, by the way. Whether you're going to be a missionary or, or, or just live a missionary lifestyle here in this world, we are meant to be in a place where we hold fast to the truth. And it's like, truth is truth. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what, it, what legislation says. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It doesn't matter what famous personalities say. If everybody gets it wrong, it's still true. It's still true. And I want it to be where it's like, I, I believe it. You know, I'm holding fast to the truth that is unshakable. I want it to be that truth would endorse my life. It does for Demetrius. And again, that's a good example. And it would be a needed space. There would be no place that we would say, hey, let's get behind, uh, you know, somebody, you know, as a missionary who actually doesn't believe it. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, but we think about it. You know, we, we support a number of missionaries and groups in a moment that we'll talk about here as a church. And it's one of the questions we're asking. Like, okay, do they believe it? You know, are they representing Jesus? Are they holding forward the gospel? Because we don't, you know, want to get somebody that's just out there like, well, I'm just trying to do good in the world. I mean, I don't actually believe in the gospel. I don't actually believe in Jesus. Like, well, then you're not a missionary. Like, not the ones that we're going to get behind. We want those who hold fast to truth, who, who hold fast to the truth and, and are representing the truth in the world. And, and Demetrius is doing that. He's one that was endorsed by everybody. He's holding fast to the truth. But there's a third endorsement here in the text. Verse 10, sorry, verse 12. Demetrius has a good witness or a good testimony from all and from the truth. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. Wow. Yeah, John himself says, you know what? I'm putting my stamp on this man. 
I'm just wanting to tell you that I'm bearing witness of him, and you guys know me. I mean, you know who I am, and this is the Apostle John. This is uh, one who, you know, and, and Gaius and others that they would recognize, and there's a place of a personal and even an authoritative, even a place of a, of, a, of, of, a, of a pastor stepping in and saying, hey, we recognize this, I endorse that. And I just like this. I just like this. I find that also to be a helpful thing because I'm also asking that same question. So as we pray about things that we support here as a church and people we get behind, these are the kinds of questions we're looking for. It's like, okay, is it, are they really doing it? Are they really doing the work? Do they hold fast to the truth? And then sometimes it's really that question. So who endorses them? Like, where'd they come from? Like, you know, what church are they out of? You know, who's really, you know, places their, their hand on them? And that's a good kind of question. And maybe it ought to always be that way that there should be a place that with somebody who is that would, would have this where someone would say, hey, I place, you know, my stamp on them. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I think this is someone you should trust and you should believe in and you should get behind because that seems to be what John is doing to this church. Like he's encouraging that. He's telling them, hey, this is a man that you can embrace. Well, that helps a little bit. In fact, let's just back it up for a moment. So we're watching all this happening. We're watching this man who is this good witness, a missionary, and we watch this whole thing that John is encouraging him. You know, we have Gaius, who's the kind of person who would support it. We have Diotrephes, who would resist it. And he's kind of trying to navigate that weird space so he could encourage them to go forward in the midst of that. So I find myself wondering, you know, where that lands for you. You know, we're, we're reaching the end of our study today. We're not done with this morning, by the way. If that sounds like we're tuning out, don't get that. We're just, we still got a little while. Um, but I just found myself, so what are you going to do with, with Third John? I mean, here we're ending it up this morning. We've talked about these four examples. We've talked about missions. We've talked about its weight. We've seen good examples, bad examples. And now we have someone who's actually doing that. What do you do with this? Well, there's probably a lot. I don't know where God's landed it for you, but I know for me, there's been a few things I've been thinking through that I thought I would take just a couple of moments to unpack with you. Things that are just how I'm walking out of, of our study in 3 John, things that are on my heart that I just want to take a moment and express them with you and invite you to join me in them. The first is I really want to just acknowledge just a thankfulness for what God has done. I want to acknowledge a thankfulness for uh, the things that God has done in our fellowship, giving Him all the honor and all the glory in it, recognizing it is His, but I think you should be excited about it as well. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago, but let me just remind you of it one more time. If this is your church, if, you're, if this is your church that you're a part of, that you participate in and you support and you give your tithes and offerings here, maybe you already know, but if not, let me remind you that missions is a big part of what we do. So out of all the offerings that are given here, 21% of what comes in here goes right back out to missions. And we love that. We've, we didn't start that way. We, we started smaller and we kept growing and we hope to keep growing. That just more and more, like we look at this gospel going to the world, like that's what we want to do. Like we want to be a part of it. So if this is your church, you are that you are supporting right now every single month 25 different either missionaries or mission groups. You're doing that. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing. And again, I'm not trying to toot our horn. I'm not trying to, because I recognize you know, anything that God did, he did. But I do want you to know this is kind of exceptional. I, I mean, it's not the normal thing. So we're involved in all these, and it's not uncommon that we'll talk to the mission groups or mission people, and we'll talk about it, and they'll end up asking us some questions like, how big is your church? And we kind of tell them how big we are, and they're like, what? 
Like, there are huge churches that aren't doing what we're doing. I mean, that we are more a part of world missions than, than, than many. The average giving into missions as a whole is somewhere around 2.5%. And, and even in that, it, it, being involved in world missions, it's even smaller in so many spaces. And it's a sad reality. I just want to tell you that God's doing some fun things here, and I hope you're excited about it. In fact, I want to remind you, if you want to know more about the groups that you're supporting and that you could then therefore pray for, we produce a little booklet. So on our back wall back there in the hallway, we have a missions map. We have all the ministries listed there, and then we have this little booklet that you could just pick up off the wall that goes over the 25 uh, mission groups and missionaries that we support. And if you don't have one of those, I'd encourage you to get it. If you have questions about any of them, you can reach out to them, or there's even an email here. You can email us, and we'll do our best to answer and help you understand. But it's a fun thing to be able to say, hey, we are. We are a part of this. I mean, we are. We do recognize that missions is a big deal and that reaching the world for Jesus is great. So again, I'm excited. I'm grateful for what God has done. And I want to make sure that kind of sounds that way, because then I want to tell you there are a few things that I'm praying for, things that are not happening uh, in the way that I would like to see them happen uh, within our fellowship places that I'd love to see God grow us. These aren't new prayer requests for me, but they certainly have been renewed uh, in, in our study of Third John. So I just want to share them with you, and maybe for some of you, you'll take up the prayer request with me. You're like, hey, Jim, I'm going to pray with you on that. Or maybe you're the answer to the prayer. You'd be like, oh, man, he's praying about me. Well, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. We'd love that. Uh, so uh, either way, just to invite you to it. So what are the things I'm praying for? Well, as I think about landing first, third John, the first thing I'm praying for is that a missionary or missionaries would rise out of our fellowship and, and, and go to the end of the world. I would love to see that. Now, don't misunderstand. We've been a part of it, and some we've had some people just loosely connected to our fellowship that do this, but I would love to see more. Now, I say that with also an acknowledgement that that is not something I can create, that ultimately that's within God's sovereign plan. I think about it when Paul unpacks it in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. He looks at the different gifts and spaces where people are going to serve Jesus, and we talked about the different callings and gifts and ministries, but one of the things he says is, it, is it's his will. It's, it's him that determines what that is, so I know that. I mean, I don't, I don't have any sense that I can create something that he's not doing. But I do know that we are supposed to have an atmosphere that acknowledges the priority of missions. He ends chapter 12 there by saying that God has appointed these in the church, First, apostles, which I've told you are really missionaries. And then he goes on and lists the rest. And then he kind of just surrounds that saying, earnestly desire the best gifts. Taken in as just a very simple way, we ought to be excited. Like We should be like, hey, the best thing that anybody could do would be a missionary. Like that's the, We want to have that kind of environment and atmosphere where it's, hey, that would be so exciting to see that happen. Like We would love to be a part of that. We would love to be able to, you know, recognize someone who is, you know, you know, doing this by all of us, who knows the truth, that I could be able to say, hey, I put my stamp on that person. Go. Go and serve Jesus. Go to the end of the world. And I think that in some ways it ought to be asked. And I don't know if you've ever asked it. Maybe you have. Why not you? I mean, is there any sense that God would be calling you? I think about it this way. Early in my Christian life, there was a song that Keith Green did, and Keith Green was, my, was one of my favorite artists, still is in many ways, and, and he kind of just challenged. He said, you know, in, in essence, he said, you know, we have a commission 
We have a great commission. So the truth is, unless you get standing orders otherwise, you should be going. It's not the kind of thing that you should be like, well, you know, I'm just waiting for a call. It's like, well, you already have the call. The call is go. The call is go into all the world unless God tells you otherwise. In fact, he said it in that song. He said, Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. It's no wonder we're moving so slow when his church refuses to obey, feeling so called to stay. Now, maybe a little said too strongly, perhaps, but I still like it. I just like, okay, there ought to be a sense that we are thinking, okay, this idea of missions and being involved in what God is doing, it should be something that we're passionate about, and certainly we ought to ask. And so again, I'm praying for that. Maybe I'm praying for you. Join me in praying for that. But I'm also praying that as a church, we could be more involved in mission trips and being a part of that. We have done that in our church, in our history. We've at times uh, given opportunities to go on mission trips once or twice a year, and, and we just love to see that restarted. And I'd like you to pray with that for me, pray, pray about that in our church. And in so doing, I kind of want to quickly pause and explain something that if you don't know how our church works, let me kind of just simply say this. As a whole, you know, we don't create ministries and then try to fill them. It's just not what we do. Um, it's not how we see God work in people's lives. We often, you know, look to see what God is raising up in somebody and then we get behind it. So we've had mission trips throughout uh, different parts of the world. But to be honest, we had mission trips because we had someone who, who, who had a vision, had a calling, and they made it happen. And we got behind it. And we love doing that. And that's how we want to still do it. You know, we don't want to just create it where we're looking for somebody, and maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. You're like, I, you know, I'm not called to be on the field all the time, but I think I might be called uh, to organize it, to lead one, uh, to, to, to pave the way for that. And, and I want to tell you, that's what we're longing to do. We would love that as a church that you would have an opportunity, either on our own mission trips or joining with others, to say, hey, let's be involved in world missions all the time. Like, let's be a part of that. And so if that's you this morning, again, please understand we're praying for you and we think that would be a great thing. Well, that leads me to my third request that's kind of landed for me here in Third John. Not only would we see a missionary raised up and mission trips, but more outreach here in Roswell. Yeah, let's go back to that promise in Acts 1 that where we're called to be the witnesses and reminding you that Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. This commission, this command, and this power that Jesus gives, it, it, it's something that was from Jerusalem to the end of the world. Now, I could just pause and say prophetically, and actually, that's exactly what happened. Like, the gospel pours out there on Pentecost in Jerusalem, and it's continued from there to the end of the world. It's exactly happening that way. But it's also a practical way that many Bible students look at this and say, well, if we get this right, we should be the place where we recognize wherever we are is our Jerusalem. So we want to reach the end of the world, like we want to be involved in world missions, touching the end of the world, but we also recognize we're called to our Jerusalem. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's not just saying, hey, we want to be involved in what's happening in China or Iran. We do. But we also want to be very involved in what's happening in Roswell, that we recognize world missions is also including us being a light here, that we're meant to be a part of that, that we long for that to happen. So that happens in a lot of ways. It happens because we're a church here in this town. We want to be a lighthouse in this community. It happens by you that we believe that your lives are meant to be an aroma of Christ everywhere you are. But we long to do more. 
So I want to kind of just say it in the same way I just said it, but we love to be a part of outreaching and being a part of outreaches here in Roswell. How does that happen? Well, for us as a church, it happens when you, you know, say, hey, I'd like to make it happen. You know, so it, 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 that's probably where some of you are kind of like, don't do it because he'll tell you because I'll tell you exactly how it happened. So you come up and say, Jim, I'd love to see us do some outreach, like door-to-door evangelism. And I'd say, that's a great idea. You're in charge. You know, make it happen. Like, you organize it, put it together, that'd be fun. You're like, I think this church should do, like, some outreaches in the park. And I'd be like, it's a great idea. Go for it. Make it happen. We'll get behind. I mean, that's kind of how it works. But I say this because we're not trying to create something and then fill those spaces. We want to get behind whatever it is that you want to do that God is laying on your heart to reach this community, but we want to do it more. We, we, we want to make sure that as best as we can, we're a part of the gospel witness here in Roswell. So I find myself praying for these things, praying that God would make us more that kind of people and that he would grow us in a, in a missions focus that would be a part of our lives. And I think that's a good thing for us to pray for. But there's one more thing we want to talk about this morning before we're done and before we uh, end study in third John. So we're watching all this and seeing that the good examples and the bad examples. Diotrephes was the bad example. And, and I don't know that we could say that this is a statistic that we could, you know, take into the world, but I still think it's worth noting. Because if it is, that means one out of four is doing it wrong. Yeah, one out of these four is doing it wrong. There's a Diotrephes who's being selfish and self-centered and resisting what God is doing and not being a part of missions, but three out of four were doing it right. So again, if that's a stat, which you're not saying it is, but let's just say it is, that would mean like 75% were doing it right. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool even in our fellowship if we'd be able to say, hey, there's, you know, most people, I mean, that's what their hearts are, are in. They're on. They're, they want to be a part of this. There might be, you know, a, a 25% that don't, but don't get caught there. See, I say this to you because I need to say it to me because here's how it works. You, if you know anything about most of us, uh, we pay more attention to the bad example than we do the good example. You know, it's that kind of thing where you could throw up a white sheet and you could put one, you know, dark spot on it and all of us, we just see the dark spot. Sometimes it happens that way. So I can have, like, after a sermon, I could have, like, 10 people tell me, Jim, great sermon. No, that's really, really good. Really met me. It'd be great. Then I have one person that goes, I didn't know where you got that. Weird. You just kind of went off. Like, you just, I, you just didn't make any sense to me at all. I'll tell you which one I remember. I was like, the only one. I was like, that's the only thing I heard. Like, it's terrible. Nobody got anything out of it. It's just horrible. And, uh, but that's just kind of how we be. And so I have to sometimes say, don't do that. Don't focus just on the negative. Don't, don't do that because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And so I want to tell you, hey, same thing here. Yeah, there are people that are just wrong. They're in the church and they're getting it wrong and they're selfish and self-focused. Yes, that's a part of church today, but it's not everything. Three of them are doing it well. Three of these guys, they are doing well. So let's take away the one that we're not supposed to be focused on. And I want to just invite you to think about these three. In fact, I would put to you, I think that's how the book ends. So let's go back and read it. So we just finished this whole kind of endorsement of diatrophies there in verse 12. Pick it up in verse 13. John says it this way. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Wow, pause and just get it. It's a great way to end, but you hear John's heart. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about John uh, and our study on, on his life and showed how he was still involved. 
Like he's still like, hey, I want to come and talk about it. I still want to encourage it. Hey, I'm coming. You know, writing isn't near as helpful as personal communication, so I'm going to do that. It's a good example. But then he ends the letter saying it this way. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Peace to you. Kind of that idea of a blessing of kind of in the Hebrew, shalom, just this blessing upon you. It's a good ending, not a surprising ending, a good ending. But the thing that's surprising is the way that he ends and says, our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Greeting, having the idea of embracing or being excited about it and enjoying it. Greet those who are friends. Why does he say it that way? What, 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 why is the book ending this way? Well, it's certainly probably being built off of what Jesus said. For Jesus used this term in speaking of his disciples and those who were serving together with him there in John 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that you've heard, that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. He says, I'm, I'm not just calling you servants, I'm calling you my friend. I'm calling you a friend. And here he's speaking to his disciples and those that are a part of that. In fact, that's kind of where we find ourselves thinking. Now, it could be that in this kind of closing friends, it's just something that is this idea of, hey, that's who we are, that in Christ we're meant to be that. And there might be even some weight in saying that, but it's interesting that he didn't say it that way. Like, hey, greet the saints, and all the saints greet you, and, or greet the believers, and all the believers greet you. He said, greet the friends. And I would put to you, there's a feeling that kind of flows through this letter that ends it in a different way, that we're not just talking about all Christians. We're talking about those who are friends of, the, uh, of what he's doing, kind of the 75%, kind of those who are doing it well, who are getting it right, because I would hold to you out that the idea of friends kind of encourages that. Now, you probably understand this in another kind of vernacular, right? You see it. I mean, if you've heard it one time, you've heard it a thousand. You've seen, you know, groups that call themselves friends, you know, where you'd have, you know, the friends of the police or the friends of firefighters or the friends of U.S. Family, military families or the friends of a public library or, you know, the friends of the poor. And you've heard that phrase over and over. And immediately when you see that, you know exactly what it is, right? If someone says, hey, I'm a friend of that, that means I support that. I stand with them. I, I'm a supporter. I'm an encourager. I believe in what they are. I believe in what they're doing. I, I'm helpful where I can be. Count me as a friend. Count me as a friend of, of what they are. Well, I would put to you, I think the letter ends that way, that it's not just about all believers, but those who are friends of, of, of the gospel, those who are friends of missions, those who are saying, hey, I believe in what we're doing to the end of the earth, and, and count me one. Count me to be in the 75% that say, I'm a friend of that. Count me as one that says, I, I believe in, in Jesus taking the gospel to the end of the earth. I'm excited where people go out onto the mission field. I'm excited about what he is doing. I want to be counted as a friend of missions. And I think that's the idea. Where John says, hey, I'm, all those who are a friend of missions, we are greeting you. And you greet all those who are a friend of this as well. Like partner in that and be excited about that and be that. Now, here's what I know. Some of you, you are. Like, that's exactly, I mean, I could sit there and say, hey, right now, you are a friend. You're, you're one that loves the gospel, 
and you love wherever that's advancing, and you know what missions are out there, and maybe you have missions that you're supporting personally, uh, you have people that you're a part of, and you're a friend of that. And I want to say, wow, Don, you're the kind of person that we're saying, hey, that's a good example. But maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, am I? I don't know. Am I a friend of that? I mean, I, I could hear what you're saying, Pastor Jim, and I kind of, you know, understand that, but am I a friend? You know, not someone who is, uh, you know, just knows about what is happening, but am I, am I a friend of what God is doing and taking the gospel to the end of the earth? And I think about how, how it's worded for us in the book of Proverbs, and I just give it to you, where it simply says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. It's one of those great Proverbs, by the way. It's just like one of those, like, uh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, if you want to have friends, make friends. Like, be friendly. I mean, don't, don't just sit there and be like, well, I'm not really, no. It's just a good, practical, very helpful, and uh, even life-giving example. But can I just take that and apply it to what we're talking about this morning? Do you want to be a friend of missions? Then be friendly. Then be friendly. What would that mean? Hey, find a way to be supportive. Find somebody on the mission field and reach out to them and say, how can I be a friend? How can I pray for you? How can I help? I, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in the gospel going forward, and I want to be a friend. I, I want to be someone who stands with you and stands behind you. I think it would be a great space where you would add that into your life, where you would say, that's, that's me. I, I'm a friend of what God is doing in the world, and I'm, I'm a part of that, and so it's just an invitation that you'd step towards that, you know, it just, just step towards it. We say, I want to, I wanna, you know, maybe I'll reach out to some missionary and say, hey, include me on your email prayer chain. I just want to be a part of hearing what's happening so I can pray for you and stand with you. I want to be a friend. I want to be excited about what God is doing. I love all that, but the proverb doesn't end there. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Boy, a true statement that often finds itself in relationships but ultimately behind this, there's a far deeper picture that the friend that God really is inviting us to see is Jesus. You know, we think about the song, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a place to find him to be our friend. Good place for us to go to. But when we think about this specifically, can I tell you, missions has no greater friend. The, the heart to take the gospel to the world has no greater friend in Christ. I think about the great commission that he gave it to us there in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And lo, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, take this gospel to the world and every place you're doing that, I'll be right there with you. Like, we'll do that together. Like, I will be, I will be your friend. I will support you. I will get, I mean, because I want the gospel to go to the end of the world. And, and, and to the end of the space, that's what I'm doing. And I'm telling you today, that is what Jesus is doing. That Jesus today is still doing that. He is still building his church. He is still taking the gospel to the end of the world. And he is still saying, hey, I will be a friend to that. To any place and every place that that is. That's a good space for us to be found. And certainly where I'm just telling you as we end this letter, that we want to end this letter saying, may it be me that I am standing with Jesus. That I'm saying, God, I'm a friend. I, I want to be a friend of this. I want to be, I don't want to be a diatrophies. I don't want to be a self-focused, selfish that's all about me. I want to be one that's excited about the gospel. And I'm just inviting you towards that, just to grow in that. So we're going to end it there. You can close your Bibles and the book of 3 John. We're done. We finished it. May God just take it and bear fruit into our lives, whatever that is and wherever he has it to land.
So we close this morning, and I just leave that with you. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, and I will tell you, that's the point. We want the gospel to go forward. We're here to help you know Jesus, and if that's you this morning, we long that you would be a part of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe again you're doing really, really well. Keep doing it. Maybe you're not. Maybe missions has become one of those things that you're like, eh, you know, that's what other people do. That's a kind of like weird, eccentric Christians get involved in or something. You know, I, I'm not really one of those people excited about missions. Well, you should be. Become a friend of it. Become one who's praying for it, seeking it, encouraging it, being there in the midst of it. May God stir it up in your heart and mind in a fresh way. So let's take a quiet moment. I'm just going to give you a moment to talk to Jesus about that, uh, just laying it before him, laying whatever it is he has for you. I'll do the same, uh, just asking God to work in that, and then we're going to come back and close and worship in just a moment. But this moment, would you just talk to God about what he has been just speaking to you about this morning? Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you've told us clearly that this is what you are and what you're doing. That you are building your church. I believe that you have called us to do that, to be the light in this world. And I believe that you're with us till the very end. I'm so glad for where that has been, that which has rescued us. And I'm so glad to be a part of seeing that continue. Oh, we long to be a part of your witness in our Jerusalem, here in Roswell, to the rest of the United States, our Judea, surrounding Mexico, Canada, our Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God, we're so glad that, that you're doing that, and we just want to be a part of that. We want to be friends, friends of what you're doing. I want to be friends of the gospel, friends of missions. Make it more so. Make it more so. With that, God, I would just very clearly ask the request that I shared. We long that you'd raise up those who are missionaries. Lord, and if you would do that even in our church, we would so love to see that happen. We want this to be an atmosphere where such hearts could be developed well. And people would find themselves being called to, to, to go out and brave and, and, and take the gospel into places that are not receiving it right now. God, would you do that? Then would you stir up those who would 
help put together and, and help us to be a part of mission trips, that we could be a part of small spaces of just being able to see and encourage and be a part of what you're doing around the world. Grow us afresh in that. But God, as we're looking at that, we don't miss the call to be a light here. We want to be a part of the gospel representation here in Roswell and help us to do that. Guide us into every means and way that you have us to do it. God, we believe that the gospel is going forward. We just want to see it. We want to be there a part of it and with great joy. Just acknowledge you and your goodness to it. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the, the good things that you've spoken to us in it. And as we finished it this morning, may it just land and may those seeds that you've sown into our hearts, may they go down, put in good roots, and come up and bear fruit. We ask for that now as we surrender this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.